Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. The title of these uh, messages uh, that we've now been ministering on for some weeks um, is Divine Healing in God's Covenant. Today is the seventh uh, session. The subtitle today is that God has no favorites. All right, so that's the subtitle. I want to focus around that today. Uh, and, uh, of course, we've said that... Uh, that we are studying uh, the word around healing within the context of the covenant that God has established with us. We said that God enshrines certain blessings within a covenant, and he makes covenant promises uh, and, uh, and oaths uh, so that you and I can have confidence, we can have certainty, and we can have faith concerning these covenant promises, including the promises on healing. And we said that God does not heal randomly. God heals according to his covenant promise. Sometimes if we stand back and we look at a distance uh, in regards to one person gets healed, another person gets healed, one person does not get healed. If from a distance, it looks like that there's something random going on. And I want to touch on that a little bit later on. But God does not do random. God will always, always respond when somebody comes to him in faith. And of course, one of the reasons why uh, we teach on healing is uh, because we need to be uh, convinced that healing belongs to us today. Uh, uh, and we also need to learn how to receive. So with that, a uh, couple of areas that we covered last uh, Sunday. We talked about the woman with the issue of blood that was healed. Uh, and two blind men were healed as well. And this morning I want to uh, look at another healing uh, that we see in John's Gospel. In fact, we are told uh, by people who have done studies that there are 23 specific cases uh, of healing recorded in the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, somebody thought it was 28. I didn't count. But uh, there's certainly enough you know, stories there for us to read and to be inspired by and for our, for our faith to rise because the Bible tells us that everything that Jesus has done. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. It's in terms of the mechanics that have changed. When Jesus uh, healed people, he was at one place in one time and able to do what he does. Well, now he's everywhere. All right. When he rose from the dead, uh, and, uh, and the Bible says he ascended to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but by the power of the Spirit, he's everywhere. All right. What, what uh, theologians called omnipresent. So let me read from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 5. And, uh, um, and, and it says here that after, uh, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these, a great multitude of sick people uh, um, lay. Uh, they were blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had.'" 
Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in this condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath day. What a tremendous story. Um, And uh, I just want to make a few comments about that uh, passage, which is typically what we do. We read a we read a passage and then we give the sense and hopefully that we get the understanding of what God is trying to get across to us. Now, I need you to listen very carefully today. Um, otherwise, you might get the wrong end of the stick. What I'm about to say, I'm not in any way suggesting or supposing that what's written in the Bible is not true. All right, But I have some things to say that uh, I believe are relevant in regards to this particular passage that we're reading here. I've gone over this and I've gone over this and I look at what the commentators are saying and there seems to be a bit of a vagueness around this thing and I want to hit this thing uh, full on. Now, let me say this, that doubtlessly, without a doubt, everything recorded in this passage is correctly and accurately stated, as is every other word in the whole Bible. All right, the Bible, God's word, God's written word is infallible. All right. We need to understand, though, when we pick up a Bible, whether that's a physical Bible, a physical book, or whether that's an electronic book on a device, it does not matter. We say, this is the Word of God, and it is. Uh, but it also records what the devil said and their lies, and the lies are recorded. It's truly stated, but they're lies. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the Bible says that we need to rightly divide the Word of Truth. We need to really drill down and say, what is going on here? What is God saying? And what is truth? And what is fiction? And what is superstition? You see here uh, in John's gospel, John, the apostle, he recorded um, the understanding of the day concerning the, the pool of Bethesda and a supposed, possibly occasional, stirring of the water by an angel. That was the understanding of the day And John recorded it as that. Um, And uh, it seems to me that there's a little bit of an ambiguity around that. It's a little bit ambiguous. I've gone over it and something is not quite stated here. What's not particularly or directly stated is how often that angel supposedly came to stir the water. Was that an annual thing? Was it a, a weekly thing? We, we, we don't know. It's, 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 it's not really uh, specifically spoken about. All right, so John basically recorded what he knew the understanding was, and among all the folk that were lying in those, one of those five porches that were surrounding uh, that particular pool, um, and, uh, and uh, doubtlessly what John recorded was absolutely correctly and accurately stated. But here's what I, what I would like to submit to you. Uh, it is doubtful whether God really sent an angel to stir the water to give the fastest person the chance to get their healing. Let me say that again. In my mind, I seriously doubt whether that story that we have just read 
was more based on superstition on the day rather than an actual angel coming by God occasionally. Okay, it's time to stir the water. We want one other person to be healed. Now, when we read the Bible, we read the Bible with a certain understanding of knowing the character of God. And here is what we know about God. And we're not talking about imposing a sense onto the Scripture, but when we understand the character of God, then we can rightly divide the word of truth. If we don't know God, we are liable to come up with the wrong end of the stick. All right? So we know this. Knowing the character of God, we understand that God does not play lottery with his healing power. And what was going on there seems to me a little bit like a lottery. Okay? Let's go to the pool of Bethesda. It might be our day today. We might get healed today. There was a man there. He has been in this condition of either paralyzed or, or lame. It doesn't specify. I call him the paralyzed man. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk about him a little bit more in just a moment. He had been in that condition for 38 years and still waiting for the moving, the stirring of the water. Something is not right here, okay? We know that God does not play twisted games with people. And in my mind, anybody that plays that game of saying, okay, well, let's not stir the water now for the, list, for the next two years and see how they all get on waiting there. God does not play twisted games. God doesn't do that. All right? So, uh, and in fact, I would like to suggest to you that God is completely impartial and he does not play favoritism. God doesn't say, it's, uh, okay, well, who is now closest? Who's liable to get in if, if I send an angel now to stir the water and, oh, it's the wrong crowd? No, let's not stir the water. Let's wait until next week or the week after. You see what I'm saying? This is like a lottery. This is like buying a raffle ticket. And God doesn't do lottery. God doesn't do raffle tickets. God makes his healing available. You know, when Jesus uh, arrived in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth and he stood up and he read out of the book of Isaiah where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he went right through this whole thing, reading the scripture. And he says, and, and he says I'm here to proclaim the year of God's favor, uh, where God's favor profusely abounds. It is available to everybody. All right, rather than to the fastest one that can get down into the water when supposedly, supposedly, the water has been stirred. So I don't know what's going on at that pool, whether, you know, and we are not even told if that man that was in this condition uh, had been there for 38 years. It just says he's been in that condition for 38 years. But if he hadn't been there for 38 years and he still hasn't got healed today, something is not right. God does not do that kind of thing. You see, here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God, he's God of gods, and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor does he take bribes. Okay? Now, of course, here is, um, here is uh, uh, Moses speaking to the people, and later on, Joshua, when they appointed judges, they said, hey, 
you know, God shows no partiality and God cannot be bribed. So don't you guys show partiality in your judgments to the people uh, and don't you take bribes, all right? In, in Job chapter 34, verse 19, it says that God is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they're all the work of his hands. God has no favorites. All right. Whoever comes to him in faith can receive whatever they're asking from God, provided it is covered in the Word of God. And most certainly healing is probably one of the most well-documented uh, blessings that is available today. It is most certainly available in the New Covenant, and we found out it was well uh, uh, available under the Old Covenant, and so praise God for that. Let me just uh, talk about the pool of Bethesda. Uh, that place was filled with sick people. They were all waiting. They were all waiting. Um, actually, they were not waiting for their healing as much as they were waiting for the stirring of the water because the understanding was an angel comes down, troubles the water, and when the water is stirred up, whatever that might look like, like, oh, the fastest guy jumping into the water was supposedly healed, uh, of whatever condition that he had. So they were all waiting. But when Jesus came along, he told them to receive. You see, to wait is one thing, but to receive is another. And somehow, it seems to me that many, many people today who lack understanding are still waiting for the troubling of the water. Still waiting for something to happen before that they can get into uh, Whatever, you know, they need to uh, receive and so forth. And yet Jesus says, receive your healing. Receive, receive. That's the focus. Receive. Don't wait. Receive. Um, so these people that were lying in these five porches, place was filled um, with, you know, the, the blind, the lame, uh, the paralyzed, this man here, as I said earlier on, we're not specifically told whether he was paralyzed uh, or whether he was um, uh, just lame. You know, the King James Version, that calls it the halt, H-A-L-T. And the halt is an old English word for when somebody is, is in, in, in a kind of a lame um, condition that they move a little bit and then they got to halt, they got to wait until they get a bit more strength to be able to move again. Whereas paralyzed people, depending on what level of paralysis they had, they couldn't move at all. They had to be moved around. All right, so you see the difference there. And, and this guy here, uh, when Jesus began to prompt him, uh, I guess to probe if the man had faith to receive on that day or whether he was going to wait a few more years to get his healing, uh, he, says, he, says, he says, well, Master, he says, uh, uh, he says I, I, when the water is troubled, by the time I get down, it takes me so long, somebody else is faster than me. And they get ahead and then there is no more healing for, for all we know. Weeks, months, possibly years. You see, something is not right with the story in the sense that, uh, that if we really think that God really sent an angel occasionally, this to me seems so contrary, so contrary to the character and uh, the character of God and the way that God works. Because as we said early on, God does not do random. All right, God heals according to his covenant promises. So this man here, been in that condition um, 38 years. So Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? It seems over and over when Jesus speaks to people to kind of prompt 
uh, and, and possibly to gauge if they have faith to receive on that day, uh, he stated the obvious. He said to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? All right, well, it's obvious, but... You know, I found over the years in praying for people, I've sort of adopted that same saying. What do you want God to do for you today? Because what seems obvious is not necessarily what they've come up for, if you understand what I'm saying. And what seems obvious, like, oh, I know what you need. Let me pray for you that you get what you need. They sometimes come for all sorts of different reasons, all sorts of different needs. So Jesus says, do you want to be made well or do you want to be made well? Um, and the man replied to Jesus, and he gave him reasons why he couldn't be healed. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, when, when we reach out to God for healing, we should find reasons why we should be healed rather than should not be healed. Okay. And so this man explains, that, well, you know, he says, by the time I get down, uh, when the water has been stirred, somebody else jumps in ahead of me, uh, and, and, and then I have to wait again. Um, and that's why I said something is not right with this story. So at this point, uh, at this point, when he had explained what he said, Jesus gave a faith command and to invoke a faith action on the man's part. And sometimes that's all that we need to speak a faith word and have a faith action in order to, to, to step into what God has for us. And we're not waiting for the stirring of the water. We're stepping into the power of God. We're stepping into the very thing that God has for every single one of us. If I've learned one thing and been reminded of over and over in, during the series of messages, uh, rather than just waiting, say, well, where's healing? You know, when, when's it going to come? And, and sort of putting it off into the future, say, let's step into it now. The power of God is present to heal now, all right? And, and faith is now, the Bible tells us, okay? So Jesus issues a faith command, and he says to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Well, as we've said before, the man was unable to rise. He was unable to pick up his bed, and he was unable to walk by his own power. He needed the power of God, but when he made an effort in that direction, the Bible says immediately he was healed. And he's been lying around for 38 years. <laughs> How amazing is that? Praise God. So again, Jesus' faith command prompted a faith action by the paralyzed man, and he was healed. And I say it again, we've said it several times, that when you receive prayer, if somebody, you know, whoever prays for you, said, look, just lift up your leg or move your arm or do something, uh, do it with the best of attitude rather than, oh, why do you want me to do that? You know, like, you know, let, let's just do, because there could be, there could be a, a, a kind of a God's wisdom for that situation to prompt to prompt a faith action, to prompt a, a faith confession in order uh, to, for healing to flow. So uh, I leave that with you to, to think about in terms of whether, whether you feel that God really did say an angel. I don't believe he did, uh, even though that that's what's stated. I believe that that was based on John's understanding of the day. I, I believe that thing was more based on superstition rather than God really uh, doing that. But regardless of what it is, remember that God's power 
always is present for us to be healed today. We don't need to wait. We don't, we're not waiting for a troubling of the water, a stirring of the water. We're not waiting for all the stars to line up, as it were. You know, we just step into it because God has it for us today. In God's mind, we've been healed 2,000 years ago. The Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. It's not that God says, okay, well, we need to arrange a few things here. It's like, you know, we need to do something. It's already been done. In God's mind, it's already been done. All you and I need to do today is receive. Let me talk about Simon, Peter's mother-in-law that was healed on a day. A very short story, but nonetheless, um, uh, one of those uh, 23, 28 stories that we read in the Gospels uh, where Jesus came to Simon's house. It says here in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, that Jesus arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Uh, But Simon's wife's mother uh, was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and she served them. Now, Jesus was at the synagogue as he typically was, to teach the Word uh, um, and sometimes to heal people. Um, what's interesting is if we just back up to the previous story, uh, that that paralyzed man, that lame man that was healed, the Bible finishes off in there in, what was it, in verse, uh, verse 9 of that passage there. It says that the man got up and he picked up his bed and it walked, and that day was the Sabbath day. That day was the Sabbath day. Now, of course, Jesus knew what was going to happen uh, because the man was not allowed to pick up his bed according to the Jewish rules that had been created. Uh, nobody was allowed to carry a bed from A to B. Uh, and in fact, uh, the, the, the Pharisees of the day, in fact, we're talking Old Testament, when they took the law of Moses, which was uh, about 1,500 specific regulations, they turned it into 6,000 laws. People couldn't move uh, without breaking a law, just about. It was that bad. You see, and that, what, that's what religion does. Religion binds people, but Jesus comes and sets us free. All right? And, uh, of course, when this man picked up his bed and he walked out, they said to him, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, he says, you're not allowed to carry your bed. It's a Sabbath day. And he said, well, somebody said to me, the one who healed me said to me, pick up your bed and walk. So that's what I've done. Well, I said, well, who is that? He says, I don't know. Well, this man didn't know uh, who Jesus was because in the meantime, Jesus had withdrawn and, and so forth. And uh, so later on, when then Jesus came to him uh, in the temple, he found him in the temple and he said to him, look, he says, you see how you've been healed? He says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Um, and interesting, the man now began to proclaim that it was Jesus who healed him, um, which is interesting. Of course, now the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. You know, he healed somebody, they want to kill him. Uh, and, and it wasn't so much the healing in this instance, it was the carrying of the bed. You know, religion is a horrible thing. Let's just stay right away from this thing. You know, Christianity is not rules-based, it is relationship. All right? Um, and uh, so anyway, so here is uh, Jesus now leaving the synagogue, is coming to Peter's house. Uh, the Bible says here, you know, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, um, and, uh, and uh, as soon as he got there, a request was made of him that he would do something for Peter's mother-in-law, who the Bible says was in bed with a, with a high fever. 
So she didn't just have a bit of a temperature, she had a high fever. Evidently something going on where the body was trying to burn off some infection, something, uh, and so forth. Whatever it was, uh, uh, I I would say it's hard to gauge, but a a fever is one thing, but a high fever would indicate that something serious is going on. uh, And of course, they would have had no means uh, in terms of any medication to deal with that. So the Bible says that that Jesus stood over her uh, and rebuked the fever and it left her. You know, from that, we derive that we can speak to sickness and disease. And in fact, we should, we should rebuke it and command it to leave people because that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, when we first come around these understandings here, uh, you know, we just say, well, look, we talk to each other. We don't talk to things. Yet we talk to things all the time. We get into the car and if it's in trying to start it and, and you know, it's sort of the battery is a bit weak. We say, oh, come on, come on. You know, we've just talked to the car. You know, if we can talk to the car and Jesus talks to fever, we can speak to sickness and disease and rebuke it. Uh, and commanded to go. And, the, and, and in fact, in another uh, account, in one of the other Gospels, the Bible says that that's exactly what he did. And the Bible says he touched her. And in one Gospel, it says that he, he, he held her by the hand and he lifted her up. And she says, immediately she got up. The fever left her. Immediately she got up and she started to serve them. All right. So she's like had an instant miracle. Something immediately happened. We've talked about the difference between a miracle, which is instant, and a healing, which begins the moment prayer is had and will be completed in some time to come. It could be minutes, hours, days, possibly a couple of weeks. And uh, I think it's good for us to allow for both because if we're only relying on the miracle side uh, and, 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 and that's not something that is happening in that moment, a healing can still happen. In fact, I remember Kenneth Hagin said that multiple times. They get into meetings, and sometimes the anointing is so powerful and so strong. And, and uh, what's the word? And he says the presence of God there is so strong, the gift of the Spirit operating. He says, uh, he says and stuff's happening. It's just miraculous. Uh, he says, at other times, that's not the case. He says, we teach the Word, and then we lay hands on people, and we just get people healed by faith rather than by the gifts. Uh, and there is a difference between those two. And you and I, we need to be open and understanding understand that we can't shove God into a box, so to speak. Uh, God does what he does, but we can certainly reach out to God by faith and receive whatever we need from him. So, uh, yeah, the woman got up immediately and she served them. Praise God for that. So let me speak about uh, Jesus and the authority and the power that he walked in. uh, And uh, I'm doing so with a sense that you and I can walk in the anointing, and we can walk in the power of God just the same. In Luke 4, verse 36, um, just a little bit after that passage there where this uh, man got healed, it says that they were all amazed and spoke amongst themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. In another passage, the Bible says that... uh, um, Uh, The Bible says that when Jesus taught the Word of God, they were amazed because he taught as one having authority. So in other words, he didn't teach like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees, like the priests, the scribes. He didn't teach like them. He, He was different. 
And the difference was he was anointed and he knew who he was. And he knew that in order to get things done, you need to use your authority. Because operating by faith, half the story, half the battle is using the authority that God has given to us rather than, you know, to kind of suggest uh, uh, that something be done. You know, in dealing with sickness, uh, with fever, or with demons, we need to learn to speak and to command with authority. All right. And I would suggest that, you know, when Jesus rebuked the fever in Peter's mother-in-law, he wasn't making a gentle request. It's like, oh, it would be good if, you know, fever, if you were not here. No, he says, fever, get out, or something to that effect, using his authority. So I encourage you, when you pray for somebody, use your authority. Uh, every one of us have got authority, and when we use the name of Jesus Christ, that's where the power lies. All right, praise God for that. Anyway, here in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That was a long meeting, let me say. All right, they brought people from all around the place in the evening. Interesting, too, that if my understanding is correctly, that Jesus had just healed this other guy on the Sabbath day, but now it's evening and Jewish days. I mean, this is, is an aside. You don't need to remember this, but, you know, Jewish days went from sundown to sundown. Uh, in the evening now, it's no longer the Sabbath day. It's now the next day, and Jesus was able to heal without causing a ruckus and causing the Pharisees to get all upset because they were already ready to kill him anyway. So, so the Bible says he laid his hands on them um, and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying out saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. All right. The funny thing is that demons knew he was the Christ. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't figure out what was going on. This is very interesting. So again, we, say, we see here that you know, Jesus' main ministry activities were teaching, preaching, and healing. All right, teaching, preaching, what's the difference? Well, teaching is explaining, preaching is proclaiming, um, and then healing. And of course, healing included deliverance, uh, casting out devils, and of course, performing miracles of, you know, uh, multiplication of food and so forth. But his main activity is teaching, preaching, and healing, and really is the church. Uh, you know, when the book of Acts was written by Luke, uh, the physician, He says in Acts chapter 1, he says, of everything that Jesus began both to do and to teach, he began, you and I are now authorized to teach, to preach, and to heal. All right, we need to concern ourselves with that. Uh, we need to lay hands on the sick. We need to bring deliverance into people's lives. Uh, and uh, so in Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So be encouraged today. You and I, we are commissioned to do exactly what Jesus began to do, and uh, we're still doing that today. And let me talk about uh, just one other story, and then we'll wrap up very shortly. Uh, blind Bartimaeus is healed. Um, and here in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, uh, verse 46, it says that when they came to Jericho, Uh, as he went out of Jericho, this is Jesus uh, and his disciples, is, as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, 
and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they, many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. I like that part. You know, it's like people say, oh, come on, you know, leave, just keep quiet. Uh, but he, he wanted something, okay, and he was prepared to speak up. Uh, so he cried out all the more, and he says, Some, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. You know, there's a thought in here that seems to me for a blind man to come to Jesus, but before he went, he threw aside his garment. As a blind man, you don't throw anything away. You're not liable to find it again. All right. But he wasn't expecting to find it with his stick that he had walking around. He was expecting to find it with his eyesight open. The man came with faith in his heart. All right, just a thought. Um, and throwing aside his garment, he arose and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Here it is again. What do you want me to do for you? It's obvious, but Jesus nonetheless wanted to know. It's like, why did you really call? It's, it seems obvious, but we can't assume. What do you want me to do for you? Furthermore, the question was not just to find out what he really wanted. The question was to probe for faith. Is there faith in that man's heart? And, uh, and uh, what do you want me? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Okay? So he says, he says that I might receive my sight. And Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You know, what's interesting is that uh, here is another man that's sitting by the road. Th this one is begging. He's blind. He can't work. Um, and uh, he's sitting by the road, and there's a commotion going on. A lot of people are rushing past him. And when he found out that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he'd already heard that this Jesus of Nazareth is moving around and he's healing people. And as soon as he heard that, he began to call out. The Bible says he cried out and he said, he wasn't just quietly whispering, he was like hollering. And he says, Jesus, you know, son of David, he says, have mercy on me. He wanted to draw attention uh, to himself as it were and to his need in his own life. Um, and then it goes on that Jesus then, Bible says, he stood still. When everybody told the man to keep quiet, Bible says Jesus stood still and he commanded the blind man to be brought to him. So by the time they, they you know, get him over to Jesus, he, you know, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And here is a significant uh, uh, a significant sentence that I believe became the key for this man to receive his healing. He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. If you've got a pen, a pen or a pencil in your hand, circle the word receive. Um, I, I believe the, the word receive is significant. He, notice he did not say, Lord, heal me. Even though that, that's what he wanted. But he knew that he had to receive. You see, friends, it's one thing 
to have to receive prayer or for prayer to be made, it is another thing for us to receive what we are praying for. It is possible that somebody only prays but not receives. And the last sort of heading that we have in the outline, and then I want to wrap things up. Um, why are some people not healed? Now, there's possibly multiple things that we could uh, talk about at this point. I just want to deal with one. Um, why are some people not healed? Well, it is not uncommon for someone to say, I prayed for God to heal me, but he didn't heal me. That's very common. I prayed, God did not heal me. We hear this again and again, and uh, there's somehow something unscriptural about that sentence. The more correct way would be, would be to say, I prayed, but I failed to receive. Because everybody that came to Jesus and received was healed. It's not the praying only that's the important part. It is the receiving part that is very, very important. That's why you and I, uh, and one of the reasons why we teach on healing, we help, we're, we're trying to teach people to receive. Receive. When somebody prays for me, uh, a common thing that I would say is praise going on, I receive, I receive. Uh, uh, why, why do I say I receive? Because I'm using my faith to reach out to receive that which we are praying for. But it is possible for somebody to just stand there and say, well, I'm hoping something will happen. It's not the hoping that gets the job done. It's the faith and the receiving that gets the job done. So, Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.